Hey there, welcome to LiveWire. I'm Luke Burbank. We've got a great show for you this week. First up, we're going to be talking to New York Times bestselling writer Karen Russell about her short story collection, Orange World, which Kirkus Review calls a momentous feat of storytelling. Then comedian Marcella Arguello is going to make the case for staying single past the age of 30. You may or may not agree with her logic, but you will definitely laugh. And then speaking of keeping your independence, we're going to be catching up with legendary indie musician and activist Ani DeFranco, who made her 22nd record during the pandemic. All of the records released via her own record label, which she founded when she was just 19 years old. As the song says, you can go your own way, but we would love it if you would take us with you, please. So stick around. Livewire gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. Good to see you. How's it going? It's going so well. The flowers are starting to bloom here and there. Mm-hmm. Here Just in a Portland. little bitty, but a little daffodil here, mm-hmm. Daphne there. I'm constantly walking around the neighborhood, just like sticking my face into things, going, "Is that what I'm smelling? Oh, are you? Is that, is that what's blooming? <laughs> plants. I want to specify plants. Hey, are you ready to do a little station location identification examination? Yes. Okay, this is where I give you some info about a place in the country where live wires on the radio. You try to guess where I'm talking about. This is like my wordle, basically. <laughs> this city <laughs> is known as the windsurfing capital of the world. It's also home to Turtle Island Foods, who produce tofurkey. I always thought the windsurfing capital of the world was the Columbia River. Okay, yes, it is. So it's either in Washington or Oregon. <laughs> it's it's down here where I'm smelling flowers. Is it the Dalles? It's on the river. It's on the Columbia River. That's part of the name. There's a word before river. Oh, is it Hood River? It's Hood River. Hood river. <laughs> where we are on KHRV radio there in Hood River, Oregon. Hey, y'all. I hope somebody's out there windsurfing with like headphones and listening to Livewire right now. <laughs> Shout out to everybody listening in Hood River and all around the country. Speaking of our radio show, should we get to it, Elena? Let's do it. All right. Take it away. From PRX, it's Livewire. This week, writer Karen Russell. 
if there is some uh, fantastical shimmer in a story or if it feels like a world that's like slightly divergent for ours, I feel like I can imagine my way into it. And comedian Marcella Arguello. My friend posted the other day, life without love is like a ship without sails. Girl, a ship without sails is a yacht. With music from Ani DeFranco and our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. That's the sound of people windsurfing, I believe. I love Livewire. I love the idea that windsurfing isn't exciting enough. You have to have something in your ears. <laughs> sure, you know, for because sometimes it's mundane. Yeah. When the power of nature is lifting you twenty to thirty feet above the raging Columbia River. Hi to everyone, windsurfing and doing maybe slightly more mundane things as you tune into Livewire this week. <laughs> we have a question that we asked the Livewire audience as we do each week. We asked, what's something you could pay for but would rather do yourself? This is sort of in honor of Ani DeFranco's very DIY approach to making music. First, though, it is time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there is some good news happening in the world. Elena, what's the best news that you heard this week? Aha. Okay. This is about a TikTok. Oh, I'm already riveted. I didn't learn about it from watching TikTok. I learned about it like I learned about all TikTok, which is, <laughs> I think, I think Did that- you read something in Harper's Magazine about TikTok, <laughs> Elena? Right. Is that no. what happened? No, it was more like in the AARP monthly, you know, TikTok digest. They call it talk tick. Yeah, the ticks and the talks. I feel like being old is you put the definite article in front of everything. Like, Uh oh, I can't watch the live wire when I'm doing the windsurfing tonight. Yes, exactly. But so this TikTok account is a couple. They call themselves San Francisco in Bloom or SF in Bloom. And their names are Shalico and Phoenix. Whoa. And Shalico and Phoenix live in the Mission District in San Francisco. And Phoenix is a horticulturist and a landscape garden entrepreneur. And uh, they've started doing this thing where they either, I think it's mostly hoverboards. They hoverboard around the Mission District and other places, I think, in the greater San Francisco area. And they spread wildflower seeds into the little public garden beds and medians, you know, that are just kind of like chewed up and just full of kind of dirt. They have um, a Parmesan shaker and then a, like a weird little toy seed gun. <laughs> and they TikTok themselves. I don't know if that's a verb. And uh, often dressed like as bumblebees or swans or <laughs> things. And then sometimes they'll stop for a $14 burrito and they'll comment on the price. <laughs> This is San Francisco after all. Yeah, I mean, it's very San Francisco, but it's respectful. These are native plants, so either plants that are indigenous to the region or endemic to the region. But the other cool thing is that for every TikTok of SF and Bloom spreading the wildflower seeds, there's some other TikTok that happens weeks later of them checking back on the like dirt around the trash can or the highway median. And there's just this explosion of very lovely, different colored wildflowers. Like when Shalico is hoverboarding through the mission and looking at all the murals, he then looks down at all these places where these flowers have come up and it's like his own kind of special, all natural graffiti. That sounds so satisfying. I love a good makeover show, whether it's a home makeover show or a person getting made over, you know, but this is even better because it's the city being made over, you know, and you get to see the before and after. That sounds extremely satisfying. 
Uh, the best news that I saw this week is also out of Northern California. Hey. It's out of the sort of Sacramento area where a guy named Randy Waits was watching TV. Mm-hmm. And there was a story about this kind of unusual snowstorm that had hit the Lake Tahoe region. And Randy, by the way, is like 55 years old. He's like sitting on his Barca lounger there in Sacramento. And there's a four-second clip of an interview with a tourist who was visiting Lake Tahoe with his family and uh, was put out by this snowstorm. And that person was listed as being named Edward Waits. And Randy Waits is going, huh, we have the same last name. It's spelled the same way. So he pauses it, and he gets his teenage daughter in there. He says... (laughs) Isn't that weird? There's somebody with my last name. And uh, his daughter says, yeah, that is odd. So then she disappears into the other room and goes on Google Uh. (laughs) and comes back in like 10 minutes later and goes, I think that's your brother you've never met. (gasps) Because they had the same father. By the way, young people and the Internet. Wow. Their ability to figure this stuff out very quickly is impressive to me. (laughs) But she had somehow made this connection that this guy – And her dad had the same father. And what had happened was Randy's father had been married to Randy's mother, but then had left the family, Uh started a new family, which, you know, it's kind of a sad thing. But it meant that he then had more children and ended up living a whole other life. This guy, Randy, grew up always wishing he had siblings, wishing Mm -hmm. he had a brother. And so he got in touch with Edward and turns out, yeah. They have the same dad. The proof that Randy had was one picture from when he was a baby where his paternal grandmother is holding him, right? (gasps) So Randy, the kind of like, you could say kind of left behind kid, had this one piece of photographic evidence. So when Edward saw that, he was like, oh yeah, case closed. We're brothers. This is like the parent trap only with middle-aged people. You know, like they're going to sing Let's Get Together at the Campfire Social. <laughs> a root and tootin' they will be yeah. together. Randy and Edward, it's actually very cute because Randy talks about how like, you know, it was a tough life for him growing up uh, without having a father in his life. And Edward, the, the father had passed away, but Edward apologized to Randy on behalf of how the father wow. was absent. And and they sort of mended, you know, the family. And he now, Randy is so excited because he's got this brother that he always wanted. And it was thanks to a four-second clip on the Sacramento local news. Amazing. So that unlikely family reunion, I'm going to call that the best news that I saw this week. Speaking of the best news, we've got a whole podcast dedicated to this topic. It's called The Best News Podcast. We hired an outside naming company. We paid them millions of dollars to come up with the name of the podcast, and they said, Best News Podcast. And so that's what we went with. It is a weekly program. We release it on Wednesdays, and you can get it wherever you get your podcast. So please do check that out. All right, let's invite our first guest on over to the show. She was a Pulitzer Prize finalist for her book, Swamplandia, about a family that lived in a gator wrestling theme park in the Florida Everglades. That was a New York Times bestseller. And then a few years later, she received the MacArthur Foundation Genius Grant. In 2019, she released Orange World and other stories, and she stopped by the show to talk about it with us. Let's take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Karen Russell, recorded in front of a live audience at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. (laughs) 
I was so tempted to introduce you as one of the greatest American writers under five foot five. <laughs> because you're, you're actually, you were considered one of the greatest American writers under 35, but somebody got it wrong on the intro. Yeah, they did. And then also I continued to age in time. <laughs> but you are also under five foot five, so it was, it was technically accurate. It was accurate. That's how they introduced me. They said one of, the, one of America's finest writers under five foot five, and who, who could object? <laughs> totally verifiably true, I feel. Um, one of the things that always comes up when you're interviewed is a question about how you kind of invent these really creative worlds with your writing. And this interview is going to be no different. How do you create these very inventive worlds with your writing? I wish you want like a pithy answer. Right? I'm like, well, drugs, Luke. <laughs> they open the portals. Um, this is public radio. We will take your longest, most rambling, pause-filled answer. Yeah. Lay it on us. You know, I was just, I was, uh, just reading this thing about um, Goya. You know, he would do these paintings with these amazing, like, elongated figures. I imagine he got his version of this question, like, how do you, what, make, what compels you to, to paint these strange, you know, mysterious worlds? When and it, Goya was on Livewire, we, yes. yes. we, we asked ask him, him that question. I also you asked know, him I that, I think yeah. he might have just had, like, some vision trouble. <laughs> I mean, I guess that, that's, like, a, like, a very glib way of saying I really think, you know... Um, that's my uh, bumper sticker answer. It's this wonderful Flannery O'Connor quote where she says, the truth is not distorted here, but some distortion is used to get at truth. And that, you know, for whatever reason, I think if there is some uh, fantastical shimmer in a story or if it feels like a world that's like slightly divergent for ours, then I've, I feel like I can imagine my way into it and be honest in a way that's like almost never possible for me in the fluorescent light of you know, this world. But so, I mean, how do you, like, what's your process a little bit? Will you read something somewhere about a real thing and kind of just kind of click it over one click off of reality in your mind? Or you have an idea and you're asleep and you wake up and write it down? Like, how do you generate a lot of this stuff? Yeah, I'm, my, so my favorite story uh, in this new collection, I, I, we visited Timber, Timberline, the Timberline Lodge. Yeah. And so a lot of times it'll just be going to, you know, walking around, moving through some physical location that's, you know, evocative and in this case, like a little terrifying. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, it, and then I, it wound up being sort of a story about these young women uh, during the Great Depression who take a ski lift to what they believe is going to be this fabulous party. And it's, you know, it's totally the wrong party. And they're the only living guests. And it's like a bummer of a night. <laughs> This is Livewire from PRX. We're listening to a conversation we had with the writer Karen Russell about her collection, Orange World and Other Stories. We've got to take a very quick break, but don't go anywhere because we will be right back. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we 
We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm-hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are listening to our interview with New York Times bestselling author Karen Russell. She joined us on stage at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland back in 2019 to talk about her short story collection, Orange World. Let's get back into that conversation now. I, I love your eye for detail when you write. Like, you mentioned somebody unlikable in this new book, and you mentioned that they had once eaten the sticker on a green apple instead of taking it off. And I just thought that was the sickest burn you could put on a person. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's, that's no invention of mine, Luke. That's with apologies to some of my male relatives. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you're just really hungry. Um, the, the, the piece that that particular detail is from is from Bog Girl, A Romance, which is one of the things in this book that's been getting lots and lots of attention. It's, an, it's a really incredible idea for a story, and it's really well executed. Uh, can you explain for folks that are listening just kind of the broad points of, of, of that story? Yeah, I can try. They, they all sound like, um, I think, mental illness in paraphrase, but I'm going to try. So it's <laughs> this young turf cutter. He's sort of in... You know, this island off the coast of Northern Europe. He's a, just a very weird teenager. He has not had much success with like eye-level crushes on girls his age, like real live girls. And one day, um, you know, he's cutting peat in this bog and he discovers like a 2,000-year-old um, body, which happens with like surprising frequency, yeah. it turns out, in our world. <laughs> Not, not even the invented part. Yeah. <laughs> right, like it, because of the geography of this place and the fact that there were humans living there a long time ago, it's kind of the perfect environment for finding 2,000-year-old remains of people. Yeah. Like preserves the, the matter. Yeah, so the that... tannic acid sort of perfectly. So if you guys are into that, that's where you should go. <laughs> um, and he, he falls in love with her, and the policeman is like, well, this isn't a recent murder victim, so we're not interested. And he's like, cool. And um, then she's his girlfriend after that. I, I read this, this story to be about the fact that when you fall in love with someone, it's almost not even about them. It's like about whatever you're projecting on them because of your own stuff. I, you know, I, I sort of, there's a, I hope what reads is kind of like a, like a little bit of a feminist twist at the end of this like very macabre thing I just described. But absolutely, I mean, part of the attraction there for this particular 16 year old, but then maybe for many people at the start of relationships is you have this like perfectly inert screen for fantasy, right? Um, very little chance of rejection. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've sort of preempted that whole <laughs> drama. Um, and I think this kid is coming from a family where a lot of, a lot of other things feel chaotic. So he's like, this is awesome. You know, we're, yeah. um, 
you know, it's, it's a good first girlfriend to have, you know, um, in some ways. I mean, I could think of better ones. <laughs> There's a surprising number of jokes about her being an older woman with them dating, which is like the understatement of the century. Yeah. But that's one of the things that I think are so great about the stories in Orange World is they're these outlandish prospects, but then, like Luke said, you find this very universal connection to first love or motherhood or friendships between women who are fighting off the adversaries of the world, right? Like, there's always this, like, real-world implication that uh, comes out of this, and then you get to enjoy this really fantastical universe building, and your life is there as well. It's just so I fun. hope so. Thank you, Elena. I hope so, right? I mean, I think if, if the story works at all, it has to first transcend that sort of... Um, frightening joke <laughs> or you know the, the the premise of it and then and for me it works that way too a little bit it's almost like disarming and charming yourself to get into a story to talk about something that's that can be sort of unbearable if you come at it headlong you is know? it fair to say uh maybe not in terms of disarming and charming maybe also kind of disturbing like sort of shaking mm -hmm. people from their sense of normalcy uh, out of the sort of dinner party yeah. conversation into the bog romance absolutely i mean right ever so slightly I, the, the the other story you referenced orange world which is the title story i think in some ways um i just had no language after my son was born for this totally surreal landscape that i felt i had entered um it happened to be that winter in portland where the literal landscape, like we were all just, you know, paleontologists of our car, and there was, you know, the, the greatest ice storm of the century, and everyone was living in like the three block radius around their house. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I guess this is just what new motherhood is. I, right. I, I live in this hole with this abject dependent. <laughs> By the way, that baby is a big listener to the show, so you're gonna have some explaining to do when you get home. Um, you won a MacArthur Genius Award? It's true, isn't that unlikely? <laughs> well, I, I would say in a, in a certain way because I think a lot of times we associate that award with a particular kind of maybe scientific innovation or just a certain kind of work in the world, um, which is of course not any more important than writing, but it is associated with other things. I'm curious, do you even know when you're being considered for such a thing or does that come completely out of the blue? No, for me, I mean, I think there probably are people, you know, who are inventing incubators that run on marbles or, you know, sending people to the moon or discovering, like, you know, exostars and new planets, and they are probably sitting by their phone waiting for this call. <laughs> I, I didn't. I just know who answers their phone if they see right. a number they don't know. I was like, oh, I, I, I think I have a bill I haven't paid. I'll, you know. So you were just sitting at home or somewhere, and the phone rings, and on the other end of the line is the committee telling you you've won this Genius Award, and it was like a bolt of lightning? It was like a bolt of lightning. And also, it kind of prejudices you for the rest of your life to sort of, like, answer the phone very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, the caller ID says, Mom, but I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Scam maybe likely. I'm... Well, we'll find out. Yeah. Guggenheim? Right. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to answer this question because it's sort of personal. But the, I, they also give you, I think, what is it, $500,000? Yeah, it is a, it is a they, shocking. They give you a bunch of money to basically fund your enterprise of being a genius. What did you do with the $500,000? <laughs> you do not have to answer this question. 
I was like, look at what I'm wearing, Luke. I, yeah. <laughs> I should tell. Have to ask. I should tell the listeners she's wearing a diamond-covered fur jacket. So that was 200k of it. I mean, I don't even want to say specifics because I don't want to. I don't want to get into your financial decisions. But I guess I just wonder, like, how does one use a sum of money like that to continue the endeavor they've been doing yeah. that's gotten them declared a genius? I know, and it's funny. You know, I think people in the sciences are actually accustomed to such to do the work that they do. They need quite enormous sums of money. Whereas I think like the poets and the wizards are like, oh my God, I could open a grocery store. Like I think we're all like, wow. I could get health care. I'll never, yeah, I can fix my teeth now. You know, like I think it's just a very different ball game a little bit. And I have to, you know, one of the things that I did that's going to sound very boring, but I had been bouncing around doing these kind of visiting teaching gigs, like this weird Mary Poppins person. And, um, and I, I had just sort of, um, fortuitously met my husband, my now husband here at um, Reed College at the Tin House Writers Workshop. And so we, yeah, I felt like, okay, well, I'm Now, now wait a second. Was he serious about this before the 500K? He was. All right. He was, was, I'm happy to say. He got in just under the wire where I didn't have to (laughs) think I was in like Night of the Hunter or something. Did, I mean, does, there must also be some pressure with winning an award like that, which you didn't ask to win, and I'm sure you were extremely flattered and honored, but then you got people like me asking you about it on stage years later. It's true, it's true, and it sort of also feels like, what could you do to ever um, merit that? I mean, it turns out the scientists know, they're like, we're, <laughs> we're inventing like, you know, things that distill water that run on the sun that will save humanity. Right. Puts a little more pressure on a sentence. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the title story from the book, Orange World, uh, in, in which a new mother agrees to breastfeed the devil in exchange for his protection. There, I was getting a kind of a big hit of Little Shop of Horrors in there. There's a real Feed Me vibe where this thing kind of gets out of control. How did this story take shape? I mean, was it based in your own experience as a mother? I, Luke, I honestly feel like before the MacArthur line of questioning, these people were on my side, and now they're like, boo, give back the money. <laughs> Hold on. Fund our public schools. No, we, we, there's an easy way for us to find out if the audience has turned on you. Should Karen Russell leave the stage right now? Okay, you're still, you've still got them. Um, the, the, title, the, the, the title story from the book Orange World, uh, I mean, you sort of mentioned a little before the break like that, that was a reaction to motherhood for you? Yeah, and this is the, the sort of thing, too, about you know, the way that really you, you asked what I did with that money. Most of it went into just setting up a life here and, and saving you know, for our son and then having like the exoskeleton to, you know, to have this sort of rooted, I mean, I'm sure Elena can attest to this, it's, it's a strange speculative gamble to work on a book. Amen, um, yeah. It's a really, it's kind of a mad gamble, and it, it, takes, it takes such a long time, and it was just nice to have um, that kind of freedom from the financial insecurity that plagues many writers. Do you feel wilder? Yeah. You know, like, would, would a breastfeeding devil story <laughs> maybe not have been a part of your creative reality before you got this platform? Well, you know, I think in all honesty, you know, stories are, this will shock everyone, but like a, like a hard, you know, short story collections, it's just not where the Hollywood megabucks are. <laughs> and so I, I felt free to sort of pursue this sort of insane, you know, I mean, it, the, the math doesn't really add up, you know, if you think about how long it um, 
it took me to write these stories. Right. Um, yeah. But I but I will say I do I did feel like having there's something very disorienting about having what felt like a really stable rooted existence here in Portland during a time when the world felt absolutely uncertain. And then, you know, our son was born right after the 2016 election, so that threw another wrench into things. And so it was just trying to navigate this very, like, literally slippery. You, you, you Portlanders remember? <laughs> that was a terrifying winter. <laughs> Nobody parked on hills. <laughs> um, There's that part in the story, I'm not giving anything away, where, like, kind of all hell is breaking loose, and everyone in the story stops to talk about the fact that no one is salting the roads because yeah. it's Portland. <laughs> It's so great. That's the, that's the bond. In addition to this devil that's tormenting them, that's the bond that unites them. I, I honestly so think good. that detail has gotten the crowd back on your side. <laughs> Karen Russell, everyone. The new book is Orange World and Other Stories. That was Karen Russell right here on Livewire. Orange World and Other Stories is available now. Karen released a new short story called Stag via Amazon Original Stories just this week. So make sure you go check that out. Hey, special thanks this episode to Ron Marsh of Tigard, Oregon, and Amy McCormick of Portland, Oregon. Ron and Amy are part of the Livewire member community, and they are generously supporting our show with a donation each month. We know there are lots of things that you can donate your money to, but we are so happy that Ron and Amy are donating some of it to Livewire because it's genuinely how we're able to do this show week in and week out. So a big old thanks to Amy and Ron for keeping Livewire going. This is Livewire. As we like to do each week, we ask the listeners a question. This week we asked, what's something you could pay for but would rather do yourself? Elena, what are the Livewire listeners saying? Here's one from Andrea. Andrea says, I cut my own bangs, and I'm pretty good <laughs> at it now, but there was admittedly a learning curve as well as some literal curves. <laughs> When I was little, I cut my bangs in like the late 80s. I was in like fifth grade. I cut my bangs at a diagonal accidentally. <laughs> and then the only way they looked even remotely normal was if I kept my eyebrows up really high because then you couldn't <laughs> quite see the angle. And so I wrote on my hand eyebrows up so that I would keep my eyebrows up all through school. And I got like a terrible forehead cramp headache because I had like overstrained my... Uh, <laughs> I wish muscles. that the listeners could see what I am seeing right now over the video connection because it's a look of intense surprise or like you had a medical procedure that went awry. <laughs> For like eight hours of school. And I do believe uh, school pictures happened around that time as well. So, Also, the bangs are a very prominent feature in mm -hmm. people's hair. You know, it's like if the eyes are the window to the soul, the bangs are the curtains mm -hmm. that are... <laughs> They're the drapes of the face. There you go. Face drapes. That's right. What's something else that one of our listeners likes to do themselves, even though they could just pay a nominal fee and, and have help with it? How about this one from Jill? Jill says, I train my dog, but we have made shockingly little progress, so I may need to rethink my approach. <laughs> <laughs> I hired a dog trainer once, 
And I have to say, it was really impressive. But then they left, and then it was just <laughs> me trying to get the dog to do the same things, and the dog had absolutely no interest. That's why David says he never wants to take, like, dancing lessons with me, because he is afraid that some, like, smarmy, suave ballroom dancer <laughs> is going to be like, here is how you move your woman, and then I'm going <laughs> to compare his skills to David's. I love the idea of someone at the Arthur Murray (laughs) dance studio in Corvallis, just literally sweeping you off your feet. All right, before we get to our next guest, uh, one more thing that one of our listeners likes to just do themselves. (laughs) This one's from Chris. Chris says, every time I figure out how to fix something on my bike, instead of taking it into the shop, I feel super legit. Even if it takes me 12 hours and I end up spending (laughs) more on tools and parts than it would have cost to have a professional do a better job. (laughs) I was so into BMX bikes when I was a kid. What I would do is I would just take the bike apart constantly. It was very satisfying. I mean, the bike was still kind of a piece of junk. But I was just constantly, <laughs> constantly taking it apart and putting it back together, hoping it would be a slightly better bike when I was done with it. I believe that's called polishing a turd, if I'm not that mistaken. That was kind of what was happening, but it gave me some sense of satisfaction, which I'm glad listener Chris also uh, enjoys. Thank you to everybody who wrote in for our listener question this week. We've got another one for next week's show, which we will reveal at the end of this program. So stick around for that. Our next guest is, by her own description, too lazy to shoot hoops and too tall to model. So she turned to the logical next step, stand-up comedy. She was a regular on Comedy Central's At Midnight, and she's one of Time Out's L.A. comedians to watch. Her debut album, The Woke Bully, debuted at number three on the Billboard comedy charts. Take a listen to this. It's Marcella Arguello performing on Livewire back in 2018. Make some noise for me. I look amazing. What up, Portland? Uh, my name is Marcella. I'm very tall. We're not talking about it. Um, so just accept it. Move on with your lives. Um, but I am mixed. I don't know if you guys can tell by looking at me, but I'm mixed with colonialism and oppression. Anybody else? I see a few familiar faces. Not too many. Not too many, but a few. Uh, no, I'm Latina. I'm a proud Latina. Any Latinos in the house tonight? Oh, that sucks. I guess Trump got here pretty quick. Uh, it's not enough, is what I'm saying. Uh, but I am proud Latina. My, my parents actually achieved Latino American dream a few years ago when they hired a white gardener. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I didn't expect him to laugh. Um, he's like, that's not a thing, that's a landscaper. Um, but I'm proud Latina. I'm over 30 and I don't have kids, which is a big no-no in the Latino community. It's a no-no. That's Spanish for no-no, ma'am. Um, and uh, my family badgers me about it. My, my grandma, last time she was visiting, she was asking me about it. My grandma at the time was 94. You'd think when she asked me if I was going to have kids, I'd say something sweet like, hopefully soon, abuelita. <laughs> but I'm me. So when she asked me when I was going to have kids, I said, you know, when Jesus was over 30, he didn't have any kids. 
That's what I said to a 94-year-old Catholic, third-world, Spanish-only grandmother. When Jesus was over 30, he didn't have any kids, to which she replied, without missing a beat, you know, when Jesus was 33, he was dead. So I decided to navigate the conversation in a different direction. I was like, you know what? I don't even have a boyfriend. I ain't got no man. No thing on novio, grandma. <laughs> to which she replied, Mary didn't need a man. <laughs> but it's, and it's not that I don't want kids. It's not that I don't want kids. I love kids. I have eight nieces and nephews. I love helping with them. Uh, it's that I don't want to be a mother. How many mothers are here? Mothers, make some noise. Wow, you're so upbeat for being, having the worst, like, most thankless job. I, you can't, can't, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I, I also just, like, I don't fit under, like, the characteristics of person. I just don't. I'm like, you know, I have a drinking problem. Uh, you know, I'm verbally abusive, obviously. I'm self-centered. What I'm saying is I would make a great father. Um, <laughs> wow. But I, uh, I'm an alpha female, uh, or as my mother calls it, single. Um, <laughs> I don't have a problem. I don't care. I don't care that I'm single. It doesn't bother me. What bothers me is my friends who post inspirational quotes about it on Instagram. Uh, my friend posted the other day, life without love is like a ship without sails. Girl, a ship without sails is a yacht. <laughs> okay. Let me get a little... Can I get a little political? Um... I think the transgender bathroom debate is dumb. I think if we're gonna, yeah, I think if we're gonna separate bathrooms, it should be between people who clean up after themselves. <laughs> and people who don't! Cheers, everybody. Have a good night. That was Marcella Arguello performing on Livewire back in 2018. You can stream her latest album, Woke Bully, and you can also check out her tour dates at MarcellaComedy.com. You're listening to Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Okay, our musical guest this hour is nothing short of a legend and feminist icon, her new album, Revolutionary Love, is her 22nd album released on her record label, Righteous Babe Records. We were so thrilled back in January of 2021 to get a chance to talk to Ani DeFranco. Take a listen. Ani DeFranco, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Woo-hoo. Thanks for having me. I cleaned up for the occasion, too. It looks amazing. This is, yeah, Mission Control, where the magic happens. Now, have you had this? I know you've had your record label for a long time. Have you always had this kind of home studio setup, even pre-pandemic? Yeah, it's been a good 15, maybe 20 years wow. I've been recording at home. Although, this new record was different. I didn't record it here. 
the irony, though. The irony. Yeah, right. I mean, that you could have and you didn't. <laughs> Why not? Well, I mean, I was going to do my automatic thing, which is get my band over to my house, spend a few days, track the tunes. Um, I wanted to record the record just after the lockdown started, <laughs> you know, so... I was thinking, gee whiz, how am I going to make a record now? Um, and so I talked to my friend Brad Cook, who lives in Durham, North Carolina, and we were sort of flirting with each other about making a record together. So I called him up in a panic, and I was like, well, how do I make a record during a pandemic? And he basically said, if you will fly to North Carolina for five days, I'll do the rest. Mm. You know, there'll be no kissing, no hugging, <laughs> masked. I'll get a bunch of masked strangers in a room together and we'll make music. And that's what we did. So it was a very unique experience. I was surprised when I was doing a little research on you that you founded Righteous Babe Records when you were like 20. I mean, yeah. that's incredible to me. And how do you think that shaped the arc of your career that you've been basically in charge of your own albums for all these years and not, you know, at the behest of, of some label. And you must have turned down what was felt like a ton of money <laughs> in your early life to go this on your own. Yeah. Well, one will never know the extent of the money or exposure <laughs> or this or that that I turned down because such are the choices, you know, the, the path not taken. Um, so I have only myself to blame, <laughs> you know, for all the mistakes I've made. And I prefer it that way. You know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, it would have been awesome to have the team of professionals helping me translate what I do, helping me reach people with what I do, all of that. Um, but in another way, I was freer. And my records, though they might not be as polished or constructed, you know, for radio or whatever, or maximum sort of reaching the biggest audience, they are very real. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're very much like whatever trip I was on at the time, <laughs> yeah. you know, so there's a, there's a deep honesty going on, if nothing else. That feels so contemporary to me, even though it was happening with your records, you know, in the 90s, that I think music now is all moving away from the radio and folks are yeah. giving these pictures of themselves and their framework, uh, you know. I hope so, you know. I mean, it is kind of cool that byproduct of the pandemic, seeing the polish uh, go out of everything, even, you know, major networks and huge shows right. and suddenly sure. people are in their bathrobes at yes. home with their phone and yeah. it's it's getting really real all around, ain't it? Most of doing this show these days is just trying to keep children out of rooms where we or the guests are children trying to record. Dogs. I mean, that's the primary challenge. Amen. I think also that very real and, and, and honest nature of your songwriting is why your fans really connect with you. Like, really. And I can only imagine that that feels great, but it's also uh, sometimes a lot of, as we now say, emotional labor for you mm. to have a whole bunch of people who feel really strongly about this stuff that you've created. What is it like to have that kind of connection with a bunch of people, many of whom you haven't even met? Well, it's intense, you know, it is intense. Um, and sometimes it can be overwhelming. It, it can be uh, too much, mm. uh, um, but it, I wouldn't trade it. It's, you know, it's a wonderful problem to have really. 
um, having people that I've never met feel they know me, um, feel they love me, <laughs> even though, you know, um, it's, it really is a beautiful thing. And I, and it makes sense to me because yeah, like we've been talking about, I've been so naked in my songs and in the, in my shows and in my records that it's, I'm not hiding anything really. So yes, you do know me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know you back necessarily. Oh, person that's, you know, in my face now, um, you know, hugging and, and hyperventilating and, and, um, but it is still just, even when it's overwhelming, like I said, I, I wouldn't trade it. It's so important just to feel I've connected with people. I've, you know, I've just, I've bared myself and I've put so much out there and to feel that it's connected and maybe even helped, maybe uplifted, maybe affirmed somebody else's existence. That's my, that's my reward right there. That is the legendary Ani DeFranco right here on Livewire. I'm Luke Burbank with Elena Passarello. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we're actually going to get some music from Ani DeFranco. So stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We are listening back to a conversation we had with Ani DeFranco in January of 2021. Take a listen to this. Um, you're someone who was known for being very progressive and really bringing up a lot of conversations in your music that other people weren't at the time. I'm curious what it's like for you, though, to still be learning at this point in your career, you know, because I, I can see, and I'm guilty of this myself, if if one intends to be someone who really is inclusive and thinks about other people's experiences, it's also kind of mind-blowing to realize you weren't doing it right. I don't mean you specifically, but we people yeah, yeah. weren't doing yeah. it right for all these years that we thought we were doing our best. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Growing, listening, staying engaged with people, continuing to learn uh, more about what you don't know. Because how could you? You know your experience. I know mine. You know yours. So, uh, I mean, the only thing that scares me these days is that we sometimes don't give each other license to not know mm -hmm. everything, to not be born into mm -hmm. ultimate consciousness, mm -hmm. to be on a learning journey. You know, I, I certainly, like you said, I've, I've been on one my whole life and I honestly don't know how I would have fared this journey if I'd been born into the age of social media oh. of, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how a young person who wants to do as I've done, sort of push the envelope, um, step out, 
try, like you said, you know, try to challenge society, try to speak to their own truth, to, to, to what they see. And, and that involves making mistakes. And so I'm, I feel terrified for young people who want to be that agent of, you know, of change and challenging and stepping out and taking risks now. Whew. I feel very much for the young and intrepid. I wish them well. I hope that we, you know, can come back around to this idea that it's not about being right. It's about being in it and, and continuing to learn and say, oh, I know more than I did yesterday. Mm. And maybe even to say sorry for what I did or said yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, what song are we going to hear? Oh, gee whiz. Um, I thought I'd play you simultaneously. This is the latest single off of your your album, Revolutionary Love. That is correct. Is there anything about this song that you want to tell us about its sort of origin point or anything? I mean, you know, it's just a song about living in two worlds at once, you know, your inner world where we are equal and we are free and we are realizing our potential, each and every one of us, and we're supporting each other. And then the real world that's all around us, uh, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's sort of just a song about that kind of ongoing schizophrenia, I guess. All right. This is Ani DeFranco here on the Live Warehouse Party. It's 
live in two different worlds simultaneously and between them is a chasm unfolding unfathomably and in that chasm a shadow and in that shadow I stand facing towards the light nothing thing to a show yeah. I've done all year. Yeah, yeah. You don't sound rusty at all. The uh, new album is Revolutionary Love. Thank you so much for being yeah. on the Livewire House Party. We really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, before we hit the road, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to John Darneal. Speaking of musicians, he is the guy from The Mountain Goats, but he's also an incredible writer of novels got a new one out called The Devil House, which is getting incredible reviews. Then you get to hear an interview with the always delightful rapper and performer Dessa about getting back to life as a touring musician and also her job as the host of the behavioral science podcast, Deeply Human. You do not want to miss next week's show, so make sure you join us for it. And also because we've got an audience question we would like to get your answer to. Elena, what are we asking the Livewire listeners for next week's show? This one's going to be so good. I want to hear from everybody on this one. The question is, what expertise would most people be surprised that you have? You know what mine is? What? Ironing. If there was a, some kind of ironing competition, I feel like I would do really well in it. <laughs> I'm teaching a master class on it later. People can sign up. I'm taking Use that. Use the promo code LiveWire uh, for my... <laughs> For my ironing class. Anyway, we want to know what your expertise you have is that most people would be surprised by. So please send those in via Twitter or Facebook. We are at Live Wire Radio, and we might read your answer on next week's show. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Live Wire. A huge thanks to our guests, Karen Russell, Marcella Arguello, and Anita Franco. Live Wire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. Our house band is Sam Tucker, Ethan Fox Tucker, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director, and she mixed this episode along with Corey Schreppel. Our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank members Ron Marsh of Tigard, Oregon, and Amy McCormick of Portland, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or our new Best News podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank. For Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire team, 
Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of LiveWire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.